from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now on 106 Point. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Hour number two, Miller and Condon continues on KXNO. Glad to have you aboard with us here. Get ready for a little lunch break. We got you covered with a lot of good sports talk. We'll begin right now. David Kaplan joins us from Chicago. Lot going on. Theo Epstein, his decision to walk away with a year left on his contract from the Cubs organization. Not a huge surprise by any means. And our conversations with David Kaplan brought to you by Centurion Stone of Iowa. Cappy, I don't want to say it was inevitable, but it certainly felt like it was trending this direction. When the news came out officially yesterday, right about this time, surprise isn't the word, but your reaction when he heard officially Theo was stepping away. Uh, not surprised, and good morning, and good to be with you. Please tell Kenny I said hello. Um, I was not surprised because I think five weeks ago I wrote an article at NBC Sports Chicago, and I had you know a bunch of people in the Chicago media and the fan base go, that can't possibly be accurate. And I had said that to you guys as well the following Wednesday, so a little over a month ago, that... I thought there was a very strong chance he would not finish out this calendar year, let alone the last 12 months on his contract. And yesterday I got a text at almost 24 hours. It was 10.56. It's on my phone. Hey, man, this thing's going down. You're right on the money. He's going to step down today. So made a call, confirmed it, and boom, there we are. Not surprised. Loved working with this guy. Had him on my radio show this morning. He's an awesome, awesome executive, but he's a better guy to deal with. Uh, Ten years ago, nine years ago, when he started, I said to him, hey, man, make a deal with you. I will never run on the air or on Twitter and report something of consequence without giving you a chance first to respond so that, I don't complicate your life and go, oh, my God, the Cubs just traded for who? And then he hears it goes, there's no truth to that. I said, but I ask in return, either you tell me you can't comment or you tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. And he said, you got it. You got a deal. And when I talked to Theo a little while ago, not on the air, he said, you lived up to your end of the bargain, and I certainly think we did. So it was a pleasure working together. So, yeah. It's a it's not surprising, but a very cool nine-year run. It certainly was, and of course, uh, culminated there in the middle of it with the World Championship. What that means for his legacy, he's a Hall of Famer. He ended the streak in Boston. He did the same in Chicago with the Cubs. The guy is a Hall of Famer of what he did, but... He still left both places with, with question marks. Everything comes to an end. Everything can't be glowing, regardless of what you're talking about here. Do you think that's something that is going to eat at him, knowing that ultimately he didn't leave Boston in the best place, and right now it doesn't look like he left the Cubs in the best of places? Well, let's see how the Cubs thing plays out going forward. You know, He might say to you, hang on a second, Trent. Mm-hmm. When I left in 20... 20- Going into the 2012 season, 
We may have had a historic collapse that can happen, but guess what? They won the 2013 World Series with 99% of the players being guys he put in the organization. Mm -hmm. Then he comes here, wins, goes to five out of six years to the playoffs, only gets one World Series, three NLCS trips, and he might say to you, well, we did good enough things that my top lieutenant, Jed Hoyer, has been promoted into my job, so it wasn't like they were looking at a clean house. And while the upper levels of the farm system may not be where they want them, everybody I've talked to in baseball said the guys who are, you know, a couple years away, they're going to be the foundation of another great Cubs team. So we'll see how it plays out. What do we know about Jed Hoyer? He has been his right-hand man. He, he had a whole lot. I mean, this guy was a GM of a major league team with the Padres and came to be the second in command with the Cubs. This guy's got pedigree. He certainly has it. What do we know? What's going to be different, if you will, with now him in that lead chair, if anything? Um, it's a really good question. He's not as emotional as Theo. Hmm. Like, for all the good working relationship stories I could tell you, I had multiple times where I got a rather angry text or my phone rang at 11 o'clock at night. You reported what? You said what? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? That's absolutely unfair to characterize this or that. And then I would have this long discussion with him and we wouldn't talk for a couple, three weeks. And then I'd see him and we would be cool. He was a, Theo was great at telling you he was mad about something you wrote or said. And then he said his piece and he moved on. Jed is not as emotional as Theo, but I don't know if he'll be as transparent. I haven't seen enough of him in that lead role to tell you yes or no. So I'm excited to work with him. I think he's a wonderful person. Uh, a really good dude. Comes on the air anytime you ask him. He usually is very thoughtful in his answers. So I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm right there with you. I, I've been a big Hoyer fan. I, I liked what he did in the short time he had with the Padres. And I think he's going to be fine. What kind of rebuild is in front of him? This is a team that won the division. Won it comfortably by four games, or three games, I guess, over the Cardinals. But there's still so many question marks with the team and the future of the team. And, and this window that, if it hasn't shut closed, it's certainly closing with that core group that won the World Series. What's the next, say, two, three years going to look like for Jed Hoyer and he's as he tries to build this thing back up on the fly? Well, you know, when Theo and Jed arrived in November of 2011, it was, oh my God. It is the most poorly run franchise. I mean, literally, scouts in the previous, you know, iterations of what the Cubs were doing for years, multiple GMs, you would, here's how you would go scout Ken Miller. You would call a voicemail and go, yeah, it's Cap. I saw Ken Miller pitch last night, 92 pitches, topped out at 94. Curveball was really good. Slider was not great. Thanks a lot. See ya. That's it. That was the scouting report. Mm -hmm. And then it would go off into the ether. There was no system where five years later you go, hey, you know that guy we scouted five years ago, Ken Miller? Bring that scouting report up. I want to compare it to what I just saw now five years later. Well, we don't have any of that. So when Theo came in, 
they put a system in where if I go to scout Ken Miller today, I've got a lengthy, lengthy multiple-page report that I have to write and answer certain questions. And then if I see him pitch two months later, I've got to write the same exact report. And all of it, every, you could see a guy 40 times in three years, every time you've got to do the same work. And it all goes into a computer system named Ivy. And then 10 years later, hey, man, there's a free agent on the market named Ken Miller. Go back to our, when he was 18 years old, I want to see how he's evolved. And they have, you know, spin rates and velocity and every possible piece of data. So they're in a totally different place from what the Cubs were before he arrived. So now Jed has the, is the beneficiary of all that hard work's been done. But he's got a global pandemic that he's got to navigate and I think there's going to be some stunning decisions moving money off the book. Well, it is the unknown what things are going to look like for the Cubs. What we do know uh, at Soldier Field, that is not a very good football team. Start off 5-1, and one, losers of four straight, and that Monday night performance, and outside of really one drive, just incredibly dreadful, Cap. I don't know where to go. I'll leave it open-ended for you. Just your thoughts on this Bears team and this organization as a whole. I'm a fan but it is hard to root for this team. Yeah, it's not like they're an unlikable team. They're just not a very good team. You've got an aging defense that's really good, but it's not you know, blessed with guys at 22 years of age. That's A. B, offensively, I can, and I've seen some bad offenses. I mean, from John Shoup to <laughs> you know, the Dick Duran years, mm-hmm. the Lovey with 18 different offensive coordinators, to the guy I couldn't stomach as our quarterback and Jay Cutler, like all of it. And this is as embarrassing an offensive performance as I've seen. It's I cannot believe the team is this bad offensively. I it's stunning to me. So yeah, it's it's not a fun team to watch. Week off this week and then it's the Packers, the Sunday night football game right after Thanksgiving. Finish up Lions, Texans, Vikings, Jags, Packers. I mean, there, there's an opportunity, but there's a chance. But it just it doesn't feel like it's going to matter. Even if this team would find a way to slog their way into the playoffs, they're going to get clubbed. They're going to get throttled. What do you do with the quarterback spot? Not for this year. It, it doesn't matter. You have two bad quarterback options. Is it time to go back to the draft? Is it time to move up in the draft? They don't have draft capital because of the Khalil Mack trade. What do you do here when you look at this? Because what they've tried in the past and bringing in veterans, bringing in different guys, it hasn't worked. What can be done? Well, they've got all their picks back now. Finally, they are out from under the shackles of the Khalil Mack trade. So they have their full complement of picks. Um, It depends where the record finishes, Trent. If the record, if they don't win another game, which is entirely possible, with this offense, Nick Foles banged up, Trubisky banged up, Tyler Bray can't play. Uh, I mean, can't play because he's no good, not because he's injured. Uh, you have a chance to end up 5-11. and 11. That would probably get you a top 10 pick, 8, 9, 10, maybe 11. And if the right quarterback is there, take him. But you can't reach and go, we got to get a quarterback. Who's the best guy? Take him. Take the best 
damn player on the board. And if you truly are five and eleven, and there's a left tackle sitting there, a right tackle, you go, that guy's a ten year starter for us. Then take him. I want them to build their offensive line. That is something we don't have here. If you look at their five starters when they're healthy, Bobby Massey, he was the fourth round pick in Arizona. They let him go when he hit free agency, and Bruce Arians quote, I have on tape where he said, great kid, hard worker, we just have to get better at that position. Oh, we're the Bears, Let's uh, we'll sign him. Yeah, he's not very good. <laughs> the left tackle, he was a seventh-round pick of the previous GM, Bill Emery, seventh-rounder. He's very, very mediocre. Why should he be our starting left tackle at one of the three or four most important positions in a football team. Our guards, Cody White here is okay. Now he's at center. Second-round pick, nice player. He can stay. James Daniels, I really like. Olin Cruz thinks he might be, might, if healthy, be the best player on the offense, even better than Allen Robinson. But he's certainly top two or three, like him. And then Rashad Coward, undrafted. Alex Bars, undrafted. Jason Spriggs, failed in Green Bay. Jermaine Effetti, Seattle said, we got to get better. Let him go. We got him for a million dollars. Well, that's why your offensive line sucks. So I want them to address the offensive line. Ryan Pace, Phil Emery, Jerry Angelo, different levels of success, but certainly no home run hires over the last two decades at the GM, or at the, uh, yeah, the general manager position. Is that Ted Phillips that makes that call? Who... Who will get the, I don't know, if you're looking to go deeper, past the head coach and past the general manager, who's ultimately making the calls? Is it one of the McCaskies, one of Virginia's sons? Is it Ted Phillips? Where do you point? Because if you really want to reconstruct this thing, it feels like you got to go even deeper than the GM. Uh, you do have to. Now, I have consistently said, I don't think Ted Phillips is, in fact, I know he's not in the coaches' meeting going, okay, we've got to do this on second down or in the draft room going, you got to take that guy. Yeah. He's a business guy. Yep. That's just how it works. But he's also involved in the interviews for coaches and executives. Why? Why is the vice president of media relations sitting in on an interview for the general manager job? I want what Tom Ricketts did. Tom Ricketts said, who's the single best executive in baseball? B.O. Epstein. Is he available? Maybe. And then they found out through back channels through the commissioner, yes, he would like to get out of his deal in Boston. Yes, he would have interest. Tom and Theo had dinner privately. They had a chef at Tom's parents' apartment in New York overlooking Central Park. They watched the playoffs for four or five hours. They sat, ate dinner, talked philosophy. How much will it cost? Here's the deal. Shook hands, deal's done. Then he said, here's your budget, $250, $300 million. You spend it how you want, in the minors, on your staff, on our team. I'm out of your hair. And Tom does not get involved. You can't trade that guy. He's my favorite player. None of that. That's how I want the Bears to operate. George, go find me the best general manager. Get him out of his deal because you're promoting him. Make him your team president. Pay him whatever you got to pay him and get the hell out of his way. 
Final thing, David Kaplan joining us, presented by Centurion Stone of Iowa. Cappy, NBA draft tonight. It feels weird because it is weird. It's the middle of November, and we're talking about the NBA draft. Bulls did move up to number four in the lottery process. Any kind of buzz, it's not a good draft. There aren't headliners. There isn't a whole lot going on there. What's been the Bulls in the draft conversation for you guys in Chi-Town? So there's a rumor, and it's not just you know some guy in his basement. This is <laughs> from credible NBA people that the Bulls are looking to move up from four to two and are going to give their fourth pick to Golden State. And for getting Golden State to move back two spots, the Bulls will give them Wendell Carter Jr. And the belief is Chicago really likes James Wiseman, the big man down at Memphis. He's very athletic. He's 19 years of age. He's he's very talented. But he's raw. It's going to take time. There are others believe they did not work out LaMelo Ball. They watched him on a Zoom workout. They had people see him in Europe but they did not bring him in for a one-on-one visit. They did Zoom with him on a visit, but they did not give him a physical, nothing. Now, you're talking to a guy who scouted in the league for four years. There are times, pre-pandemic, of course, where we really like Trent. But guess what? We do not want to tip our hand off at all. So we're going to make it seem like we're not interested. We already know that's the guy we want. And... Maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe it's a smokescreen and they want LaMelo Ball. I just don't see them casting their lot with LaMelo Ball, the Ball family, in their first draft. Could I see James Wiseman? I could. Could I see Denny Evdia? I could. I will tell you, the guy they had an amazing interview with was Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Oh, yeah. And I love the kid. I think he's a really good player. Are you over valuing him at four maybe but i would the guys i work for in the league i remember them telling me look if there's a guy in the second round that you really like don't take him at number three but if there's a guy that's going to go nine and you like him at four that's not overreaching take the guy you believe in yeah it, it makes complete sense and sometimes you overthink it and i think general managers fall into that trap Last thing on this, I don't know if you saw the quote from Anthony Edwards, who some people believe might go number one to the Wolves tonight. Uh, we got some Wolves uh, fans in the listening audience, and of course we're the, the G League affiliate of them. His quote was, to be honest, I can't watch basketball. Unquote. Cap, you coach basketball. You know basketball incredibly well. When you hear a quote like that, how big of a red flag is it? A guy that says, I can't watch basketball. Now who said this? Anthony Edwards. I can't watch basketball. Uh-huh. Okay. For me, that is a massive turnoff because this is, it's not just a job. This is not someone who, you know, works at Dunkin' Donuts or the grocery store or is a look. This is your life, it is all consuming. Your basketball career affects. Every single thing you do in your life, the people you surround yourself with, the food you eat every day, how committed you are to your body, how committed you are to developing as a player. It's not, yeah, I go there and I practice, I play the game, and that's it. You have to be in love with the sport. You've got to be consumed by the sport, by getting better, 
by watching the game. That would drive me insane if he says, I don't like watching basketball. Scary one. That's the 2020 NBA draft, though, for you. Cappy, as always, appreciate your time. We'll do it again next week. I always look forward to it. Tell Kenny Hay and I'll talk to you. I will. I will. That's David Kaplan joining us. Good news, Ken, as he's uh, battling a little bit, a little flu, but uh, everything sounds okay on the COVID side of things as he got his test back. So certainly good news there. And uh, we'll get Ken feeling better, get him back in there. Until then, I'll keep talking with you guys and talking with our great guests. We're going to get a timeout. Another one on the docket. Cody Goodwin. From the Des Moines Register, we look forward to the six championship games happening from the Unidome coming up starting tomorrow. Three games on the docket tomorrow, starting with eight-player. It'll culminate on Friday night with the 4A championship, Ankeny against Southeast Polk. You can hear that game right here on KXNO. Myself and Joe Stacy will bring you the call of that one. Cody Goodwin talking high school football next. We'll talk some wrestling and a whole lot more. Before we get the break, though, let's try to give that $1,000 away. Your time right now for the $1,000 handoff. Text the keyword THANKS to 200-200. Right now, it's your chance to win $1,000. That's THANKS to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. It's 1126. We're coming back. Cody Goodwin talking high school sports and wrestling as we continue. It's Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO, now 106.3 FM. We're back with more here in a moment. We are Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 AM, and now 106.3 FM. This is... Got it back with you, Miller and Cotton, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Coming back with the rejoin. I usually use it in February. Not a whole lot here for our program, but for wrestling coverage that I do. One of my favorites, memories. One of my favorite sports movies. Cody Goodwin joins us right now from the Des Moines Register. Cody, you're a big wrestling guy. You have to know this, right? You need, need to know the background of Lunatic Fringe and Red Rider. Do I have it right? Do you know where that where I'm coming from here? <laughs> um, so, man, I'm going to be honest. I might disappoint you that I don't know the name uh, right offhand, but I've definitely heard this song before. Yep. Um, and it's maybe one of the best jock jams, if we can call it that, um, in sports. Um, and it's a tremendous walkout song. Maybe they should swap this out for the uh, teams that run out of the garage at the Unidome every year. Well, it, it's very good. And in fact, I've seen a couple of high school wrestling programs that has used this as their walkout music. I'm going to guess it comes from the coaches probably more than the actual wrestlers because this is part of the soundtrack and a big part of the movie, a great sports movie, not just wrestling movie, Vision Quest. Please tell me you've seen Vision Quest. I have seen Vision Quest. There's not a lot of wrestling movies, right? Right. Um, So the few of them that are out there, um, the entire wrestling community has seen it. Um, And Vision Quest is, it's actually one of the better ones. A lot of wrestling movies are usually pretty cheesy. uh, But Vision Quest is, I mean, it's it's got some cheesy lines, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But it's, it's definitely, it's, I mean, it's up there. It was well done. It's a fun story, and it's, you know, it's, it's something that the wrestling community definitely rallies around, for sure. Taking on shoot, Loudon Swain, one of the great names, and uh, Matthew Modine. If you haven't seen it, you're a wrestling fan. If you're a sports fan, 
this has to be on your list. Now, this was a big part for me. It was an 80s movie, but growing up in a wrestling town like I did in Osage, everybody loved the movie and seen Vision Quest. And even the cheesy parts and the goofiness and Madonna singing in some bar in Spokane, Washington. How asinine is that? It's a good one. So I'm glad, Cody, you're quite a bit younger than me that it's still living on even in your generation. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those movies where I even watched when I was in high school. Um, you know, because like I said, there's, there's not a lot of wrestling movies out there. I think Disney Channel came out with a, with a cheesy one. I think back when that may have been when I was in middle school. Um, but, you know, outside of that, it's, it's a lot of documentaries or docu-series right. or, um, you know, I know that there was, you know, back when, what, early 2000s or so, the ESPN did a documentary on the Iowa wrestling program. And, and that was really cool for like all me and my buddies to sit around and kind of watch that and, and pick up on the little things that made all those guys tick. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a hard sport to design a movie around um, just because there's, you know, the, the wrestling crowd will snap back at you if you don't get things exactly correct when it comes to technique and stuff like that, you know, but then, you know, that then you're adding on to the story that people ultimately want to tell. And so they're, you know, hopefully that, you know, I think it's, uh, um, you know, Dan Gable's actually been in the works with somebody about trying to create another wrestling movie. I don't know if it'll be similar to Vision Quest or not, but it's it's on the way out. I, I think I've seen a few pictures here and there about promotion. So it's, it should be on the way, hopefully sometime next year. Um, you know, maybe that'll be wrestling's breakthrough where we can maybe see uh, a few more movies come out about, you know, um, what is pretty much a niche sport. I mean, let's be yeah. honest, it, it's definitely not a mainstream sport, which, you know, that probably plays into why there's not a lot of movies about it. So, well, away from the movie aspect and looking for, first on the high school realm, we hear the CIML talking about pushing things back, not getting winter sports started until January when they get back from winter break. They're... Are these numbers of cases, not just here in Polk County, not in Dallas County or Central Iowa, but happening all across the state? And wrestling, such a different sport. What kind of flexibility do you think there is in terms of traditional state tournament there in February? Do you do you see them having some kind of wiggle room there? And just in general, what high school wrestling is going to look like this year? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very similar to what we should expect at the college level. Um, which is going to be really dual heavy. Um, you know, there's usually a lot of open tournaments or, um, you know, like I know Iowa goes to the Midlands every year and, and Iowa State has made a habit of going to the Southern Scuffle, which is a really fun tournament down in Tennessee. Um, you know, but I, those aren't probably going to happen this year. Um, you know, they, I think they made those decisions pretty quickly. Um, you know, this was probably back in August or so when they were really trying to piece the schedule together or at least try and make adjustments so that they can um, – you know, make an effort to get a season in, but also I mean, the primary thing that we're going to see collegiately is, is they're going to do everything they can to try and protect the NCAA championships. Um, Cause they don't want to lose another one of those. Um, you know, that, that was a very heartbreaking week um, back in March when they had to cancel, you know, not only the D one national championships up in Minnesota, but you know, D two and D three as well. You know, I think those, those cancellations came down the day before those tournaments were supposed to start and the D three tournament was supposed to be in Cedar Rapids. Um, so it's going to be really dual heavy, and I expect that to really trickle down to the high school side as well. We've already seen a handful of tournaments that have been canceled, bigger tournaments, um, like the Council Bluffs Wrestling Classic, like the Dan Gable Donnybrook. That's supposed to be the new tournament out in, in Coralville at the new Extreme Arena this season. Um, they're going to postpone their, their inaugural tournament there to next year. Um, you might see some local tournaments, some smaller um you know, probably more in the rural areas or smaller community areas where, you know, you'll see a handful of small tournaments. Um, but, you know, some of the big tournaments that I try to go to every year, 
Um, you know, the Independence Invitational is always a fun one. I doubt that's going to happen. Bettendorf has a, has a tournament in January. I don't know that that's going to happen. The Battle of Waterloo, which is a big dual tournament that brings teams from all over the state in, I don't believe that's going to happen. Um, you know, you're, you're probably going to see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of quad and tri duels, you know, where maybe you bring three or four teams together once a week and they all wrestle each other. Um, you know, I could really, I could see that a lot throughout the CIML where you get, you know, maybe an Ankeny and a Southeast Polk and a Valley and a Waukee and, um, you know, you stick them all in the same gym and, you know, you bring in, you know, only a handful of fans and, and they wrestle three duels and everybody wrestles each other. Um, you know, maybe they, they save that for a weekend. So instead of a tournament, you just have four teams in the same gym and they're wrestling each other so these kids can get some matches in. It's going to be a lot of touch and go. Um, you know, in much the same way, they're going to do their best to try and protect the postseason. Um, we may not see big tournaments until we get to sectionals or until we get to districts, right? Um, when it comes to the state tournament, I think there's, you know, there's still a decision to be made about whether or not to hold it as normally scheduled, you know, where they kind of interweave all the classes together throughout the three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, there is some chance that that may change. Um, you know, that decision may not get made until the 10th or 11th hour, probably looking at mid-January. Um, but there is a possibility that the, the, the structure of the state tournament might change. Um, you know, they're hoping not. They're hoping that maybe things can turn upward over the next month and a half or so, they being the Iowa High School Athletic Association, so that they don't have to change too much. But I think they're, you know, they've got plan B and plan C in their pocket in case they do need to uh, make a few adjustments. So it's, it's going to be touch and go. It's going to be different, um, you know, but it, it, at the same time, they are going to give it a shot. Um, and they're going to try and get a high school wrestling season in, much to, you know, the chagrin of uh, some people who maybe think we shouldn't be playing sports right now. Um, you know, but they're going to give it a shot for the kids. And, and I commend them for that. And I commend them for having, you know, various plans in place to try and make adjustments if they need it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, we're, we're going to learn things week to week, much as it's been, you know, really this football season and really since this whole pandemic started last March. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be hopefully a little bit of fun along the way. Um, but, it's you know, it, 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 it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. And people just kind of need to strap up and be ready for anything. Cody Goodwin joining us from the Des Moines Register here. And exactly three months from today, the beginning of traditional state, February 18th is when it's scheduled at this point. Also scheduled, we got six high school football games. And, uh, well, some changes from what we saw last week at the Unidome. Cody saw you up there. We were all masked up. We were up in the press box watching the games. But going to be a little bit different this week as now the spectators, which socially distanced, look pretty good. But with the rising cases, the decision was made, just two tickets per player, not even coaches, going to have anybody in the building. Going to be a quite a different feel, even from what we had last week, to what we see with these championship games at the Dome. Oh, yeah, it's going to be really bizarre. Um, I think, you know, th- there were some moments last week, um, and I'm sure you felt it too, Trent, that, you know, it, there was only a limited number of people in the Unidome, but, I mean, it still got pretty loud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not quite the deafening noise that we heard with Valley Dowling maybe in that final last year, but, um, you know, there was still a good number of people there making noise for their teams and, and really cheering them along, and, and there were moments where it kind of felt a little normal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, when Arlen Bruce picks off uh, Jackson Smolik to seal Ankeny's win over Dowling, it got pretty loud in there um, from the Ankeny crowd. I'm thinking, you know, I, when Van Meter is able to win, they always travel pretty well. OABCIG brought a bunch of bunch of people for that second two or one A semifinal game on Saturday. Um, you know, there, there's there's always a, there's you know even when there's not a ton of people, there's always you know good noise in there. There's probably not going to be a lot of noise in there this coming week. Um, you know, and and to make matters a little different. 
Um, you know, the Iowa High School Athletic Association announced that they're only going to utilize half of the Unidome seats, too. So everybody's going to be on one side of the Unidome. They're going to be separated. Um, but that's, I mean, that's going to look a little weird. That's going to look a little different. You know, I, I think when we get to the 4A, I think they're probably going to max out around maybe three to 400 people total, depending on how big those rosters are. Um, but, you know, the eight-player final, which is tomorrow at 10 a.m., that may, that may barely break 100 people at the Unidome. Yeah. So it's going to look weird. It's going to look different. It's definitely going to sound different, um, you know, but they, I, they, they made the adjustments necessary in order to try and keep this season going and, and really finish the season and give these kids the opportunity to play in a championship game. Um, and so that's, that I think is um, you, the coolest part about this is that, you know, we've had to make adjustments. It's been a really weird season, but, you know, at the end of it, we're going to have six champions by the end of Friday. Um, which, you know, I, if you'd have asked us that in August, I'm not sure that we would have said with full confidence, at least, that we would get this far. But, but here we are. So, and that, that's a credit to a lot of people on, on virtually every high school football team around the state for doing what they needed to do to, you know, to at least present the opportunity, right? Uh, absolutely. All right, we got five games before the big one, the 4A game. We'll get into that a little bit more. A sentence on each. Let's start tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Remsen-St. Mary's fresh off the 108-point performance in the semifinals against Fremont Mills. A sentence on the eight-player title game. Um, I think Seth Malcolm and Fremont Mills defense is going to be a little bit too much for Renzen St. Mary's, which is a weird sentence to say because <laughs> Renzen literally just scored 100 points. Um, but if you can hold Don Bosco to 30 points, your defense is pretty dang good, and, and Seth Malcolm's kind of the star of that unit, and I, I really like the Knights in that matchup. Next game up on the docket after the eight-player, I think my favorite matchup outside of the 4A1, Iowa City-Regina against Grundy Center. That Grundy team has played incredibly well. Two o'clock, what do you have in Class A? That's a heck of a revenge tour that Grundy Center's been on. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost in last year's title game. We all know that to West Hancock, and they've responded by winning 11 in a row by an average score of 40-5. to five. Um, that said, I don't know that they've seen an offense quite like Iowa City Regina. Um, Ashton Cook at quarterback, he's thrown for 2,500 yards. Um, that's far and away the most in Class A. And if you find a way to shut him and Alec Wick down, you got to deal with Theo Colley, who's rushed for 1,000 yards and, 50, er, and 30 touchdowns this year. Um, that's a tall ask. That's a really, really tall ask at the versatile Regal team. I, I like Regina in that matchup, but I, I think it'll be a lot closer than people think. Grundy Center is really tough. Harlan back in the title game in Class 3A. They get North Scott. What do you see there? Man, that Harlan offense, this is not the uh, this is not Todd Blatt uh, <laughs> or Kurt Blatt's um, Harlan offense. This is Todd Blatt's Harlan offense, and, and they have a sophomore quarterback, Tegan Casperbauer, who has been very, very impressive. Um, that said, North Scott defense has also been very, very impressive. In, in, in order to get to Thursday night's title game, they had to beat Assumption, West Delaware, and Cedar Rapids Xavier. All three of those teams were averaging 30-plus points a game. Um, Northcott held them all well below their season averages. So this Lancer defense is very, very good. Um, it's going to be kind of a classic, you know, un- unstoppable force versus an immovable object. Um, I think I like the Cyclones in that matchup. They just looked mighty impressive in their semifinal last week. Friday morning, we get it started with a local Van Meter undefeated against the aforementioned OABC-IG matchup. Two undefeateds going at it, Van Meter Big hill to climb against Cooper DeJean and company. What do you see? Yeah, you know, I, this isn't this isn't a very hard game plan for Van Meter. All they got to do is stop Cooper DeJean, right? <laughs> um, the problem is nobody has. Here are his numbers over the last 24 games. You ready for this, Trent? 9,129 total yards of offense and 125 total touchdowns. Um, 
Yeah, that's, you know, I, you know, you, it's a fast start is going to help Regina or excuse me, Van Meter in this game. Um, and they've got the personnel to probably play ball control with Dalton Van Pelt and Jack Pettit. They've rushed for, I think, a combined 2,600 yards and 35 touchdowns this year. Um, even then, I mean, OABCIG scored on, they scored touchdowns on six of seven drives against, uh, um, I, who they beat last week. So it's, you know, against Sigourney Kyoto, who has a really good offense as well. I mean, they were, they're a very, they're a run first offense and they were averaging, you know, 40 plus points a game as well. So, um, tall ass for Van Meter. I really like OABCIG and, and Cooper DeGene is, is one heck of a high school career before he heads off to Iowa City. 2A, anything for us? Yeah, I, I, I think this is a sneaky fun matchup, even though the, the local flavor PCM got beat out in the semifinals. Um, you know, you got a physical Central Lion team that is definitely run first, and they've been mighty impressive over the last few games. And then Walk-On has maybe been just as impressive. Um, you know, how do you stop a physical power-running Central Lion team? I think Walk-On has the dudes to do it, but then it just comes down to execution. And so far, nobody's really executed better than Central Lion this year. That's why they're 11-0. And we finish up with 4A, all-local Southeast Polk, ranked number one since basically week three against Ankeny, who's been in the top five all season long. One thing that I wonder about here, Southeast Polk really hasn't had to play a four-quarter game since the first game of the year. That was August 28th. If this thing is nip-tuck in the fourth quarter, you know, legs, endurance, is that something that could play into this one? I think there's something to that. You know, you look at Ankeny's schedule and who they've had to beat. You know, they, they had to get through Waukee to get to the Dome. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously won that barn burner with Dallin Catholic. Um, you know, in the semifinals, they had to go to double overtime to win that one. Then you look at, you know, the rest of their schedule. You know, they, they lost to Waukee earlier this year. Um, you know, they had to play a Valley team that maybe didn't have things fully figured out when they played in late September. But um, obviously, there's a lot of talent all over that team. Cedar Falls, I thought, was a nice team this year. And you know, Ankeny had to beat them in the playoffs in order to play Waukee. Um, so, the, I, you know, these Hawks are definitely battle-tested. Um, there's a lot to like about the firepower that they've got, and I think their defense is maybe a little bit underrated. Um, I tell you what, there's a reason this Polk team has not played a full four-quarter game yet. And it's, you know, they're good, they're big, they're, they're fast, they're physical. Um, you know, it, I mean, they've got just as much star power all over the field um, as Ankeny, um, you know, I, I don't know that you can ask much more when it comes to a, uh, you know, a state championship game. I think, you know, probably when we got through week three, week four, this was the, the game that maybe we all kind of lightly circled as, you know, hey, this would be a pretty fun championship game if both of these teams can get there. Um, so here we are. I mean, there's, there's really a lot to like about this matchup. And, and, you know, when you break it down and get into the nitty gritty, it's, it's pretty even, um, you know, on paper, looking at individual matchups. Um, so I, this is going to be a blast on Friday night. Looking forward to it. We'll have it here on KXNO. Cody will be there for the register. Thanks, as always, for your time. Cody, good catching up. Thank you, Trent. I appreciate it. Make sure you get some Vision Quest in uh, on your watching before we get to those title games tomorrow night. we got to take a break. Our final of the day, Maction tonight. What do we got on the a game I like a lot more than I did yesterday? It was a reach yesterday. I took Akron. They scored. They couldn't get any stops. I'd like something a little bit more here. I'll tell you about the pick for Mr. Maction coming up next. The sports fanatics drive you home every day. Weekdays at 4 on 1460 AM and 106.3 FM. This is 4 by NHTSA. Right back with one final segment here on a Wednesday. It's Miller and Condon, KXNO, 1460 AM and 106.3 on the FM dial here at 1154. 
Maxion tonight. Stretch last night. Shouldn't even given you a pick. It just I told you at the time. Didn't love it, but wanted to hand something out tonight. Though this is an easy one. Eastern Michigan. They are a covering machine. Chris Creighton, former coach at Drake, has done a nice job with that program. They are 0-2, but more importantly, 1-0-1 against the number. Grab Eastern Michigan, grab the 7.5 tonight against Toledo. I think you're going to walk away very, very happy with that. That'll do it for the program here today. Thanks to our great guests that we had lined up. Stephen M. Sipple from the Lincoln Journal Star talking Cornhuskers. Also getting his perspective on Penn State as Iowa prepares for them coming up this week. Bill Bender from the Sporting News. As always, thank you to Bill talking college football. That was the first hour. And then here in the second hour, David Kaplan presented by Centurion Stone of Iowa and Cody Goodwin from the register. You can always find them on the podcast page. Just go to kxno.com and you can find them and all of our program. We got Murph and Andy coming your way at 2 o'clock. The Fanatics at 4. And we'll get a Thursday started. Local programming at 6 with the Morning Rush. Thanks everybody out there for listening in. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. The Berkwood Bullseye is back. Register at KXNO.com Then follow along as our personalities shoot to win you prizes from Berkwood Farms, Fiscus Diamond Jewelers, and Mistress Brewing Company. Take your shot at the Berkwood Bullseye right now at KXNO.com from Des Moines Sports Station. KXNO.